Good morning, everybody. It's Monday, May 10th, 2021. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director and Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. This is our weekly economic and market commentary. Uh, as a reminder, you can find me on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist or on LinkedIn, just Herb Morgan. Those would be for updates more frequently than this weekly commentary. This weekly commentary is also produced as a podcast available on all of the podcast formats. The title is Slaying Bulls and Bears. We try to make the complex and complicated simple and sensical. So let's get right to it. The presentation is prepared by me for you for use with both investors and financial advisors, each of whom are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any security or anything else for that matter. So let's get right to it. We had a great week in, in uh, equity market performance despite poor economic data, particularly around jobs. That begs the question, how is it? We have one of the biggest misses on record for new jobs, really disappointing number, yet the stock market rallies. We're going to get into that. Year-to-date numbers continue to be good. Even the bond market caught a bid, was positive last week. So it was an all-around good week for investors, even though we had some bad news. News, of course, wasn't all bad. Let's talk about how that week progressed. We start out with data uh, on the big manufacturing and services sector readings from both Marquette and Institute for Supply Management, or ISM. We start with Marquette's manufacturing. As a reminder, manufacturing is about 15% of the U.S. economy, service sector about 85%, but the Marquette number rose from 59.1 to 60.5, just about in line with a 60.7 expectation. It's the highest reading since Marquette began publishing this statistical series back in 2007. On the negative side, input prices. This is this inflation we're seeing everywhere, and I know we're seeing it as consumers now. I just filled up with gas this morning in San Diego uh, at the Arco. Arco is the lowest price around, and I paid $4.80 a gallon. So we're just about back to that $5 level we got to back in I want to say 2011, 2012, these input prices are very high uh, and the highest reading there since July of 2008. But despite that, because of the reopening and the surge and all of the stimulus, both fiscal and monetary, new orders came at the highest reading since April of 2010. Now, the sister reading to Marquette is ISM, Institute for Supply Management. That number was very high, 60.7. It was estimated to be at 65, but it came off its all its 37-year high from last month. You can see it over on the right-hand side of this graph. For those of you that are listening to the podcast but not uh, seeing the slides, you can download the slides at the website www.efficient-portfolios.com. On this manufacturing reading, new orders fell a little bit to a still very healthy, very high 64.3. Uh, we also heard for the first time that folks are a little more optimistic about the supply and the labor constraints that have been holding back things. 
so we hope that's a little bit of better news. But let's now turn to the market and ISM services readings, which are, again, 85% of the U.S. economy. Services sector, very hard hit from pandemic closures, harder than the manufacturing sector, to be sure. Here, the PMI rose from 60.4 to 64.7. It beat expectations. Also the highest reading ever, just like it was on the market manufacturing. But the prices charged were also the highest ever, and it was 11 consecutive months of increase. Now, what we're hearing from the Fed governors, the speakers from the Federal Reserve, is that, yes, this inflation is here. Yes, it's probably going to get a little worse, but it's very transitory in nature, meaning it's sort of related to the year-over-year comparison from when we completely shut down the world economy a year ago. I think their intentions are good. I think they're a little too optimistic with that view because 11 consecutive months of price increases is, is, is hard to say is still transitory. Three or four or five or six months may be transitory, but at 11 consecutive months, and last month, the highest monthly gain in prices on record ever suggests that maybe, maybe any pullback in some of these higher prices may not be uh, as big as some are hoping for uh, and that can have some negative implications, certainly for consumers, for investors, uh, for savers, especially the elderly savers who, who may not take a lot of equity risk in their portfolio, seeing the value of that fixed income and the purchasing power of that fixed income diminish. Uh, back to my $4.80 a gallon for gasoline that I paid here this morning in San Diego. The ISM side of non-manufacturing or services fell to a very high 62.7, a little bit below the expectations, but still the second highest reading in ever, ever. We saw pickup in employment. We saw new orders drop, but to a very high level. Business activity dropped, but again, to a very high level. So we, we are definitely seeing reopening. We are seeing resurgence of economic activity. That is uh, manifests itself not only in these, these PMIs, but look at vehicle sales. Vehicle sales came out last week uh, at an annualized pace of 18.51 million. You had to go all the way back to March of 17 to get a similar but lower reading. So this is the highest reading we've had in a decade or more uh, for annualized vehicle sales. And margins are great for the automobile um, uh, companies because they are very limited with their inventory due to the computer chip shortages, due to the difficulty in supply chain of things like steel and aluminum and rubber. And so they're able to get pretty high prices, good margins. That's helped the auto stocks. You know, Ford, General Motors stocks have been on a bit of a tear. Moving on, we got the report on our trade deficit, and it rose increased, I should say, to an all-time low. In other words, a really bad reading. Remember that a trade deficit subtracts from GDP, and a trade surplus adds to GDP, because the GDP formula is consumption plus investment plus government spending plus exports minus imports. It's not part of our domestic product. Large increases in imports can represent a healthy, strong consumer. Makes sense. Stay at home, coming off the economy. Stimulus checks are being spent on goods and services. 
when the U.S. stimulates, the world benefits, sort of when the U.S. catches a, uh, sneezes, the, the world catches a cold, but we're seeing this in uh, massive amounts of, imp of imports. Um, there are two sides to this argument. This isn't absolute bad or absolute good. It just is what it is. But I want to go back for a second to this inflation or this prices theme. Uh, we talked about how difficult it is, particularly for manufacturers. The inputs of their production, also known as dry goods in many cases, they have to be shipped, oftentimes shipped in. And so there's a, there's a metric out there called the Baltic Dry Index. It's a survey of shipping prices uh, on certain routes, certain major shipping routes around the world. Now, I, I chose two extremes to show you. If you look at this graph, this, and this is a measure of prices. This isn't measured in dollars because there's points, but depending on prices. But it was 393 a year ago. Admittedly, that's cherry picking, right? World shut down, everything was horrible. But today, we're nearly 10 times that, about eight or nine times that, at 32.66 last week, 32.66. This represents a major price increase, cost of production. This is inflationary. Is this transitory? Maybe. It might be transitory. Uh, how much transit how transitory it is, I think, is up to very serious economic debate. And I think that at this point, we're playing a, a game, and I don't want to say a game, we're, we're taking a risk in order to try to stimulate job growth uh, that may have greater negative implications than we expect. So move on. Factory orders. Factory orders rebounded 1.1%, a little below expectations. Backing out transportation up 1.7%, so a nice solid gain there uh, in factory orders, all part of this reopening. Get into the jobs in the labor picture, and this is where we're having this problem. The Federal Reserve has these two mandates. Number one, price stability. Number two, full employment. Forever, the Fed has taken the price stability mandate, and without necessarily a legal edict or a rule from Congress, they have always taken price stability as more important. Those of us that were around in the 70s remember why, how horrible inflation could be. But because inflation has been below target for you know the recent 10 years, the Fed has said we want to increase jobs, so we're going to let inflation run hot. We're not going to raise rates. We're not going to back off of our bond buying programs and other programs until we see more health returning to the labor market. It's a very difficult balancing act to play. Weekly jobless claims are reported every Thursday at 5.30 in the morning, our time, California. They did get below 500,000 that last week. That was welcome. It's great news. But the jobs market, labor market's not healthy until that number gets into the threes. And remember where it was before the coronavirus shutdown. We were in the low twos. We were at the lowest on record. We had a booming economy and a booming labor market. And the participation of the boom was very, very broad-based uh, in terms of the socioeconomic stratuses of our economy Whereas today, we as investors are really benefiting, but we're not seeing that so far yet. I think they're trying to get that to trickle through to the labor market. 
Weekly claims, uh, continuing claims, however, rose ever so slightly to about 3.7 million. 3.7 million. Then we got the two big reports. The first one from ADP, they say that payrolls grew 742,000. That was below the economist's consensus estimate of 850,000. They did revise up the March number. Big gains in the service sector, as you would expect, as restaurants and bars and other hospitality venues reopen, and really good distribution between small, medium, and large-sized businesses. So at first, we thought we were going to get a pretty good report on labor last week. We saw initial claims drop. We saw ADP number come in pretty strong. But then we got hit with the Bureau of Labor Statistics report. This is the one that's put out by the federal government. And they were expecting a million jobs. They got 266,000. Worse, March, which had come in at 916, was revised down to 770. So the net gain between those two revisions, between the revision and the number, is almost zero. We did see private payrolls go up a little bit. Manufacturing payrolls shockingly lost 18,000. This could be because of some of the supply chain issues, right? If we can't get the raw materials and the parts, why bring back the people? The unemployment rate rose a little bit to 6.1, and the participation rate, good news, rose means a couple more people, some more people decided to come back into the labor force. But there's growing concern among economists, uh, this one included, that we're not getting enough people willing to come back into uh, that labor force. Take a look at this. Now, these are at different scales, keep in mind here, but the blue, which is the left scale, is the total workers in the U.S. labor force. You know, we were getting a very, very close to 160 million people in the labor force before the coronavirus pandemic. Then, of course, through no fault of their own, the labor force dropped all the way down below 135 as millions and millions of Americans lost their jobs. Job openings on the right-hand scale are surging almost back to pre-coronavirus highs. But the people are not all back in the labor force. Now, there's a, a lot of explanations for that. One explanation is they have health concerns. They're scared. They don't want to go back for fear of a virus. That's one. Uh, number two, um, their, their school districts are not open. 40% of large school districts in the United States are still not open for in-person learning. So uh, go back, pay for childcare. I need to stay home. Uh, and third, and I think this is a big one, folks, is in addition to the state unemployment benefits, the federal government now is supplementing with an extra $300 a week. And depending on how much you work and how much you're paid, what sort of socioeconomic stratus you're in, uh, that extra $300 you know, coupled with the benefits and not having to go in at all, especially if you might have a child at home, is, cause, <coughs> excuse me, is causing the labor force to grow very, very slowly. And that is hurting the economic uh, recovery. How much is the health concerns versus the school district concerns versus the extra $300 a week from the feds? That is open to debate. And of course, it'll be a political as well as an economic issue. I don't know what the numbers are, but I think we've, we've, we've captured uh, what the issues are. 
we need the labor force to grow. This is a big gap between openings and the available labor force. Okay, wholesale inventories rose again. That's nice. We've had great gains in inventories. This is, shows tons of confidence, tons of confidence in uh, by the CEOs and what's happening with this economic recovery. Consumer credit also recovered pretty strong growth there, about $26 billion on top of a $26 billion uh, gain in February. You see those back-to-back -back huge months in credit. That means people are more confident that they'll be able to meet payments. Otherwise, they wouldn't want to take out the big credit. Revolving credit, that's just going out and using the credit card uh, rather than an installment like a car or a big purchase appliances. That rose uh, $6 billion as people are back out you know, at restaurants and things and spending money. That all is very helpful for our economic growth. So what's likely to drive the market this week? I think there's a couple things going on. Um, obviously, we're just about done with earnings, so that's less of an impact this week. Uh, this Colonial Pipeline shutdown for ransomware, this is this ransomware thing is, I think, bigger than just the Colonial Pipeline, which is really, really, really big. I think it's likely to be offline a couple weeks, similar to when we had a big hurricane there back on the East Coast in 2007. This is going to temporarily affect prices. Um, policymakers in the area have allowed for additional trucking, release some 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 limits, et cetera, to get uh, to try to get fuel uh, on the East Coast there. But out here in San Diego, California, uh, our one of our biggest healthcare um, uh, providers is called Scripps, and Scripps has been under ransomware attack for about a week now as well. I, I am a Scripps customer. If you have my data, please give it back to me. Um, kidding. But, you know, we have a little app where you go to make an appointment or ask a question of your doctor. You can even have a, ver a virtual visit with the doctor. That's all down. They have really taken them um, uh, down. And I think we're going to see more and more of it. The FBI obviously is involved in trying to make that happen, the, uh, trying to fix that. The other thing that's happening this week is uh, a big meeting. Uh, President Biden, Senate Leader Schumer, House Leader Pelosi, Minority Leaders, uh, McConnell and McCarthy all sitting down on Wednesday to talk about an infrastructure plan. Uh, McConnell from the Senate has come out and said, look, we want it to be between 600 and 800 billion dollar plan. Uh, the president's, that's their bid, the president's ask is 2.3 trillion. It'll be messy and ugly and we'll see a lot of histrionics on whatever your favorite wing news channel is, right or left, In the re but the reality is there'll be something done somewhere between 800 billion and 2.3 trillion is my guess. Country needs infrastructure. Both parties recognize the need for infrastructure. In fact, uh, regardless of who won the uh, the election and which party had control of the two houses, we were going to get infrastructure uh, spending. Uh, we need it in in this country. Uh, the issue is what we can afford, given the absolutely massive debt load deficit, which has contributed to debt. Uh, which we're getting a pass on from the financial markets, certainly because of the ultra-low interest rates provided by the Federal Reserve Board. Okay, let's uh, wind up earnings. We've had about 90% of the market cap of the S&P 500 has reported. We were looking at 23% earnings surprise. That's a dollar surprise above the estimate, which is very, very large. Um, we were looking for earnings growth at the beginning of this season for 24%. It came in more than 50%. So across the board, just pretty darn phenomenal. Uh, everybody's happy about it. 
and market's going to continue for probably, you know, continue strong for some period of time unless and until this inflation thing becomes more of a problem and the Fed recognizes it and says, look, we're going to have to, you know, cut back on stimulus, raise rates, then I think the market could stutter and stall a little bit. Uh, but remember, the Fed has raised rates many times in the past, and it takes quite a while for that to have its effect on the market after they start. And right now, we're not even thinking about starting. So let's um, let's not get too worried about that today. Finally, in terms of economic data, nothing here today on Monday. Job opening, small business optimism on Tuesday. That's that jolts report I was just talking about. We're, you know, it was 7.4. They're looking at it to come in at 7.5. We do have uh, CPI data, which I think could have an impact uh, more so than normal if it comes in above expectations or below. If it comes in below, uh, the market could rally because the Fed more of a runway to do whatever they want to stimulate to try to pick up on uh, jobs. Uh, speaking of jobs, jobs claims, of course, on Thursday, PPI, same explanation as CPI there. And then on Friday, retail sales, import and export prices, uh, business inventories, consumer sentiment, capacity utilization, et cetera. Thanks, everybody, for tuning, tuning in. This is Monday, May 10th. I'm Herb W. Morgan. Remember, uh, give us a like, thumbs up, review on all your favorite podcasting outlets, and follow me throughout the week if you want more frequent economic updates, ideas, or musings on LinkedIn, Herb Morgan, or on the Twitter at ETF underscore strategist.